So we are uh, continuing in the Gospel of John, and uh, hopefully you have uh, understood by now that uh, I'm going to do this on Wednesday as well, and it allows me to sort of fill in the details, but it also allows me to be more focused on Sunday morning. And uh, so I am not looking at covering a certain number of verses. I'm looking at trying to discover what the Lord would have uh, me say uh, and bringing the text out to you. And so today, um, last week, we only got through three verses. Uh, (laughs) John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him nothing has come into being that has come into being. And this week, we continue with verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind, or the, the light of human beings. So, Understanding that Jesus is the life light, that's the sermon title today, I want to ask you a question. Last time, I asked you the question, who is Jesus to you? And I indicated to you, as I have for generations of young people, that that is the most important question you're ever going to answer. And I hope you've answered that positively, that Jesus is who John is portraying him, the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. That's the theme of John. This week, my question is, What gets you motivated? Oh, that's a little more, you know, germane for some of you, right? What flips your switch? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Right? You say, well, my alarm clock gets me out of bed, right? What I mean is when you don't have to go to work, unless, you know, you love your job and your your work is, you know, your calling and so forth, um, what wakes you up and gets you going, gets you motivated, Right? Uh, because that is what is life to you. It is invigorating, right? It's, it's moving you forward. It's impelling you. Um, and what we have here is this statement that in Jesus is life, and that life is the light of human beings. Um, in John 1, 9, he continues, this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. So what I think that this tells us is that um, life has meaning and Jesus gives that life meaning. The word through whom life came to be invests this life with meaning for everyone who believes. That's, I think, the substance behind uh, verse nine. This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens Every person, Jesus is the light of light, the light of life. And apart from Christ, we're really in the dark. We're just groping around for meaning and purpose and a complex, we're just nothing but complex biological organisms seeking to survive. And people, you know, try to find meaning in their lives in a variety of ways, um, I can remember back, I think it was the, the early 90s when the, these T-shirts were popular. Some of you might remember that far back. Some of you weren't born then. Um, but uh, I remember in the early 90s, it was a T-shirt that was popular. It would be the equivalent of a meme today, right? You would see this uh, you know, on social media, but there was no social media back then. There was no texting back then. Um, but nonetheless, these T-shirts uh, would say something on the order of, basketball is life. The rest is details. Dean's t-shirt would say, rock and roll is life. The rest is details, right? 
So again, it's another way of asking the question, what is life to you? We see we substitute all sorts of things for life. They're temporary things. They're things that get us excited and motivated. And you know, some of these things are, are good. Uh, some of these things are neutral and some of these things are really worthless, all right? Um, we seek life in so many things and people, celebrity worship, drugs, sex, money, popularity. Yeah, all those likes, that's what that is. Success, and even family. Family is important, right? But what we're going to discover is, if we think about it, it's all temporary, and some of it is fake, death masquerading as life. I think that this is a, a good time to visit the Old Testament and take a look at a verse from Jeremiah. He said that people were seeking life apart from God, and it was like trying to get water out of a cracked cistern. Now, I'm going to read the verse, and then we're going to, I'll talk very briefly about what a cistern is, because you'll see that a lot of what you're doing when you're seeking life in other places and in other ways than Christ is just filling up a cracked cistern. This is what Jeremiah said to the people of Israel. For my people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living waters, to carve out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that do not hold water. So what is a cistern? Well, in a place like uh, Palestine, the Middle East today, Israel, um, what they would do to collect water in the rainy season so that they would have enough water uh, in the dry season is they would dig a hole in the ground and then they would plaster it over. And then when the rain came, the rain would fill the cistern up and then they'd just put a lid on it so that it wouldn't all evaporate. So what would the problem be with a cracked cistern? Well, the rainwater can come, but then it just leaks out into the soil and what's left is just this muddy residue at the bottom. And I think that this is what Jeremiah is trying to say, that his people, Israel, were seeking life in places other than God. He starts off by saying, they turned their backs on me. They've abandoned me. Well, in the end, in the beginning as well, only Jesus gives meaning and purpose that lasts beyond the grave. So even if you have, you know, a really good job, uh, again, if you're doing what you were created to do, if you're, if you're following your calling, then your job is not drudgery. Your job might be the very thing that does get you out of bed in the morning. And that's because God created you for a purpose. He created you for a reason. And primarily that is to glorify him. Primarily that is so he can pour his love out on you. Primarily that is so he can create in you a new heart and prepare you to live with him forever. But in the interim, between the now and the not yet, he's got a purpose for you here. At every point in your life, you may be retired. God still has a purpose for you in your retirement. You may not have discovered what your calling is yet. You're still uh, trying to figure that out. Are you praying through that or are you just groping around in the dark? God has a purpose for you, right? Um, but only Jesus gives permanent purpose, purpose that lasts beyond the grave. This is what I think it means to say that in him was life and that life was the light right? He reveals meaning. He reveals purpose. And that is for you and I. I really like this verse uh, from 2 Timothy 1.10, where the apostle Paul writes, he is the one, that is Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
Now, isn't that interesting? You would think that all he would have to say is he brought life to light through the gospel. Or all he would need to say is he brought immortality to light through the gospel. But he separates the two. He is the one who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. See, the life found in Christ is more than a quantity of life. We say that we receive the gift of eternal life. And perhaps the immediate thought is, well, that's, you know, it everlasting life. The old King James uh, uses that term for John 3.16, right? Um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not, shall not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. But the term there, has that idea of a quantity of life that continues on, that is immortality. But more importantly, it means a quality of life, a God quality life, which is lived forever in his presence. He creates an endless spring of water within those who receive him. Remember, that's what it said in Jeremiah. They have turned away from me, the fountain of living waters. And then we come to the New Testament and Jesus informs us that he gives that life to us, right? He's talking to the woman at the well in John chapter four, and we'll get there eventually. Maybe, I don't know, somewhere around June or something. Um, And he says to the woman at the well, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give, it shall, he will never be thirsty, but the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Guess what? That's where this church gets its name, life well. Well, the water here symbolizes the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Well, for sure we know that because we just continue on in John, John chapter 7, 38 and 39. Jesus said, the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But he said this in reference to the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. We're not intended to live this life on our own. We're intended to live this life in the power and the presence of God who puts his spirit within us, gives us a new birth. And there we're going to have that. We're going to find that out in John chapter 3. And he creates in us, he regenerates us, and then he creates in us the ability to pour life out onto other people. You see, Christian means little Christ. We become dispensers of grace. We become dispensers of truth. We become dispensers of the Holy Spirit. He fills us up to overflowing, and everyone that you encounter has the opportunity to encounter the Jesus that you have allowed to come into your life. Verse, um, verse five says, the light shines in the darkness. Now we're back to our passage, okay? In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it or overtake it or extinguish it, depending on how you want to translate this word. The world is actively seeking to extinguish the light of Christ, Um, In fact, this goes all the way back to the the first century and this same writer, John, writes in 1 John that indeed he said the Antichrist is coming into the world. He said the Antichrist is coming into the world and indeed many Antichrists have come. An Antichrist is just someone who opposes 
Christ, if you say un-antichrist. The antichrist has a, uh, a broader meaning that uh, my intent after we finish the gospel of John is to get into Revelation, which is also uh, the, the material that John wrote. The Lord revealed this to him. And uh, he talks about uh, the, the, the beast that comes out of the, the ocean or comes out of the waters. And this we typically construe as the Antichrist, the singular being or entity or human that will be invested with Satan's power to oppose Jesus. But I would say that today, indeed, many Antichrists are in the world. And be careful. An Antichrist is not necessarily one of these Satanists from the 80s, painting their fingernails black and, you know, uh, wearing pentagrams and all of these sorts of things, listening to uh, crazy rock and roll bands that were satanic and so forth. Uh, sometimes, in fact, I would say the most dangerous type of person who misrepresents um, what goodness is and righteousness is, is someone who opposes Christ as he is taught in the scripture, who seeks to reinvent Jesus. This was happening in the first century, definitely in the second century. There was a group known as the Gnostics, and they really followed Platonic philosophy, not Christian thought. But Jesus had such a good reputation, even though Christians were being persecuted, Jesus had such a good reputation that the Gnostics decided to adopt him and then adapt him to their system. So this is why we have all of these strange, uh, they're called pseudepigraphal gospels. Pseudepigrapha just meaning it's, it's misnamed. You've got uh, the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, there was a late Gnostic document discovered called the Gospel of Judas. Um, there's the Gospel of Peter. But they're not gospels at all, strictly speaking. They are um, esoteric philosophy documents that use Jesus and the apostles as a way. They're, they're sort of the characters in the play that these Gnostics were writing, but they completely misrepresented Jesus. Now, I'm not going to get into their thought today, but I will tell you this, that John was uh, inspired to put down the, the teachings of Jesus in a way that the other three gospels did not. And he had encountered what we believe was proto-Gnosticism. That just means an early form of Gnosticism. And he was opposing it. I, I will say one little thing about this because it does apply uh, to John 1, 1 through 3. The Gnostics believe that matter is evil. That was a, it was a Platonic idea that, that the only pure good uh, thing in the world is mind, okay? What we would perhaps say is spiritual, right? But matter was evil. And so they thought that there was no way that God could have created the world, the good God, the, the, the transcendent, all-powerful God that is beyond our knowing. He couldn't have created the world. So what they came up with, with was this philosophical idea that there were multiple emanations of demigods or demiurges who came out of God and they ended up um, developing to such a degree, to such a degree far away from God that eventually there was a demiurge that didn't even know the, the original God. And that demiurge acted on the matter that Greeks, by the way, believed was eternal. That demiurge acted upon matter and created the world. So the Gnostics believed that 
the God of the Old Testament was really more like what we would think of Satan as. And in fact, um, in one or more Gnostic documents, when the, the Garden of Eden story is evaluated, the serpent is considered to be good because the serpent is bringing enlightenment to Eve and pulling her. So they saw Jesus as being this savior from uh, an evil world of matter. And what does John say? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. No demiurge, okay? And all things came into being through him, this good Jesus. He created matter. Now, I don't know, you know, what your feeling is about the physical world in which you live or your body and so forth. I mean, some of us are trying to be healthier in the new year and so forth. And so, you know, you may look at your body in the mirror and say, that's great. You may look at your body in the mirror and say, eh, I need some improvement. All right. Uh, you may have an inherent sense of self-loathing that uh, has come into your thinking. But I will tell you this, God created the world good. Amen. That's what it says after every single statement. All right. As we saw last week, um, in Genesis chapter one, God speaks and it is, right? And he said, let there be light and there was light. And each time at the end of a day of creation, it says, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And once he's finished with the creation altogether, it says, and God saw that it was very good. That's not evil matter. So Jesus is affiliated with and is the agent of this particular uh, transcendent, all-powerful, infinite entity that we call God who brought the world into existence out of nothing, right? But there is opposition to these ideas and this opposition relates to uh, opposing what Christ stands for. And so that's why we have verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overpower it. Um, sometimes I... I give this uh, little illustration during Christmas because we look at the fact that Jesus is the light of the world and, you know, we light the Christ candle. We all light our candles and we have our candlelight service and so forth. Um, but have you ever been to one of these caverns, all right, like Carlsbad Caverns? Or there, there's one, as you go toward Austin, San Antonio, there's, there's, a, there's a cavern there and I can't even remember the name of it, but it's the last one that I went. But have you ever been into one of these caverns where you go way, way down into the bowels of the earth? You have not experienced darkness until you go down into one of these. Now, this one, the, the one that I went down into, you ride this little train, right? And it goes down these tracks and you down, 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 right? And of course, you're walking through the cave and it, it looks really cool. You got the stalactites and the stalagmites and you've got, you know, all this different beautiful colors of rock and so forth. And then you've got these little signs, don't step over here because, you know, you step off into something that is, you know, a, a chasm that you will not recover from and so forth. But I've been to two of these. Um, there's one in Arizona and I can't remember the name of it either. And there's one here in Texas, can't remember the name of that, but I've been in both of them. And... In both instances, the tour guide gets to the place where he talks about uh, how dark it can get down there. And then he says, okay, make sure everybody's standing there so you're safe and whatever. Don't, you know, turn on any flashlights. And in our day, don't turn on any cell phones. And then they kill the lights. My friends, it is a darkness you can feel. 
you can put your hand next to your face and you, you can't see anything, nothing at all. And people are groping around in darkness like that. Or more likely in sort of a twilight. And here's the interesting thing. If anyone in that cavern produces any kind of light, if suddenly someone clicks their phone, guess what happens? Everybody's eyes turn to that, okay? If someone were to, to just light a match, it instantly conquers the darkness. Friend, all you've got to do is shine your light. You don't have to be some influencer with thousands or millions of friends. You just need to shine your light around the people that are in your life, amen? We're, Jesus called himself the light of the world, but he also called his followers the light of the world. Well, how does that work? The light of life comes into you and illuminates your darkness. And then if you're willing to allow it to shine, okay? Don't hide it under a bushel. Remember that, that Sunday school song? All right, this little light of mine. You ever sing that? I'm gonna let it shine. And then you got the little, the little saying, hide it under a bushel. What? No, no. I'm gonna let it shine. What, what's a bushel? What's a basket, All right? You don't hide the light, but see, this is what happens. We're so scared, or maybe you're not. I don't know. I'm, I'm generalizing here. Forgive me, I'm preacher, preacher, preacherisming, all right? But many of us are so intimidated, we're so worried, we're so scared of offending people that we won't let our light shine. Listen, this doesn't mean be nasty to people. There are people that use Christian truth and, and it just becomes like a, a cudgel, like a bat that they're gonna hit people over the head with. And that's not what it is, okay? It's light and it, it is the light of life. And we shine that light all around us and it creates within us a different attitude, guys. It creates within us a, a new character, right? A new quality of life that other people around us should be able to see, all right? Um, what we can know is this, that that light that is lit by Christ and that light which is lit in you by Christ cannot be extinguished by the darkness. Rather, it extinguishes the darkness. What did Jesus say? He asked Peter, um, you know, after asking, and I, I quoted this last week, after asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? They, you know, some say you're John the Baptist risen from the dead or one of the old prophets, right? But, but, but you, wh what do you say? Who do you say I am? And Peter piped up and said, you are the Christ, the chosen one, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are Peter. Well, first he said, uh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon, son of Jonah, um, because flesh and blood, human beings, the natural has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And you are Peter, little rock, and upon this crag, this huge slag of stone, right? I will build my church. And what's the next statement? The gates, the old translation, King James says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the actual uh, Greek is the gates of Hades. And this was the Greek idea of the realm of the dead, which would correspond to the Greek or the Hebrew Sheol. And it means death, right? Death, darkness will not overcome this faith that Peter expressed 
And then we have this. This is an individual promise, and this comes from John as well. First John 4.4, 4, uh, an old friend of mine who's passed away now, but helped me start this church, um, uh, Mr. Larry Lott. He used to call this your 44 Magnum. It's 1 John 4.4, 4, and it says this, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Listen, it doesn't matter how rough it looks, how tough the devil acts. He's a toothless lion when you have Jesus, right? Um, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The gates of Hades will not prevail against the church. If you have Christ in you, then greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the most important question then for you sitting here and those of you listening online, have you believed in Jesus and received the life that he offers? What does it say? Verse 12, and uh, we may concentrate on this uh, next week, uh, this next series of verses. But verse 12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believed on his name or in his name, to as many as received him. I was listening to a testimony by Lee Strobel. Uh, I got this CD that has a Lee Strobel testimony on it some time back. And uh, I got rid of my, uh, my iTunes music, but I still have iTunes Match. So it has every single piece of you know, music or audio that I've ever had on my computer. It uploads it to the Apple Cloud. And what I normally do, because I don't want to worry about it, I just put it on random. And I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of pieces of music and, and audio bits and so forth. And so as I'm working out, this stuff will just churn up, right? And so here was this testimonial by Lee Strobel talking about how uh, he went through, he was an atheist, and he went through a two-year process. And by the way, this, he was an atheist, but he was a journalist. In fact, he was the crime writer and editor for the Chicago Tribune. Well, his wife became a Christian and he was like, oh, no, 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 we ain't gonna do this. And so what he decided was he was gonna debunk Christianity. So he went through this two-year process of studying Christianity. And this little audio piece that I'm about to uh, give you uh, something from is him talking about what happened at the end of that period. He, he said, I looked at the evidence. He said, this just was an avalanche of evidence convincing him that Christianity was true. He said, so I already believed, what was I missing? And he remembered that a friend of his had related to him, John 1, 12. But as to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God or to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And Strobel, being the linear thinker that he is, said, I saw an equation there. Believe plus receive equals become. You may believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Congratulations, that's magnificent. That's important. But you have to receive the light of life in Christ to become a child of God. So here's the question. There is that formula. There is that equation. Do you believe? That Jesus is who he said he was, who the gospel of John will prove that he was. The son of God, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, and then took the sins of the world upon him and died on the cross in our stead because the wages of sin is death. 
was buried and on the third day rose, showed himself to upwards of 500 people before he ascended to the right hand of God the Father. This pre-existent word of God became a man, took all of our burdens on himself and dispensed with them on the cross and then rose. He has brought light and life, light and immortality to life through the gospel. Jesus is the one that we put our faith in. But see, then you've got to receive him. You've got to receive this life, which is the Holy Spirit. That's why we say Jesus in your heart. You open yourself up to a literal, real presence of God and you invite him to come inside. A sinner's prayer can take uh, many different uh, forms, but in the end, it is simply calling Jesus Lord and inviting him to be Lord of your life, opening your heart and opening your life to receive the life, and then you become a light to other people. So believe plus receive equals become. The light of life in Jesus is available to anyone who will believe it. Remember verse nine? This was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. Not just certain special people, not just certain people born in certain parts of the world, but enlightens every person. So are your eyes open to see the light? Will you receive Christ? Will you believe? You say, well, pastor, I've already done that then are you following him? Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If you find yourself stumbling around in a twilight here, it's because you've drifted away from following Jesus. And I would invite you, just as uh, you know, the, the light uh, shining in a, in a dark cave causes everybody's eyes to turn toward that light, I would invite you to turn away from all of the artificial and temporary lights and turn toward the light of Christ and do that today. Because the light of life is for you. The light of life comes into you and the light of life shines through you. Will you let that be the case today? Join me with a word, for a word of prayer. We're going to have one more song. Father, I pray that uh, each of us will open our eyes. As that old Keith Green song said, open my eyes, Lord, I want to see Jesus. And I pray that each of us will open our eyes. If we'll simply open our eyes, we will see the light of life in Jesus. If we'll open our hearts, we can become lights to a dark world. And so I pray wherever people are today, those that are watching online, those that are here, um, that uh, we will respond to your spirit as he draws us to your son, in whose name I pray, amen. Pastor Craig and I are gonna be down here. If you'd like to pray with one of us, uh, I would love for you to do that. But before I do that, I, I don't do this every service anymore. Uh, maybe I should. I just don't wanna wear it out, okay? Some people just don't know what to pray. You can use whatever words you want, right? But some people just say, you know what? I just, I don't know what to say to God. I don't know what to pray. So I'm going to offer you a prayer that you can pray. Now, this isn't, you know, kind of one of those high church Catholic prayers. And I'm not making fun of our Catholic friends or anything like that. But it's not one of those prayers where if you just say these magic words, something will happen. If you will 
pray these words. If you will put your faith, even if you just have a tiny little bit of faith behind these words, then Jesus Christ will step out of heaven and bring the light of life into you. Join me in this prayer. Bow your head, if you will. Close your eyes, if you will. And pray this with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. You are the light of the world. And I want to receive you into my heart right now. I receive your gift of eternal life. I confess that I do not deserve it, but I believe that you died on the cross to offer it to me. It is by grace that I am saved. And so now I invite you to come into my heart and I call you my Lord. I will follow you the rest of the days of my life. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. If you would like to give us feedback, uh, you can go to our website, lifewellchurch.com, and you will find uh, on the main page, there's a feedback tab, and you can click that. You can fill out that form. Uh, You can give us feedback. You can ask for prayer requests, all sorts of things like that. I hope that you are able to do this. We have a text service Uh, that I use to send out information on our church throughout the week. And uh, basically all you need to do is text the word LifeWell from your phone to 94000. And if you do that, it'll drop you into that news text list. You'll get a couple of those texts uh, from us every week.